Deceptions podcast. Hi, if you're a regular listener to Undeceptions, you'll definitely know by now that I released a new book in 2021 called Bullies and Saints, an honest look at the good and evil of Christian history. We're going to be back with season six in late February, but until then, I thought you might like this series of short readings from Bullies and Saints. It's kind of a cheat sheet for the book for those who don't want to read the whole thing, and I can respect that. And while you're in a podcast mood, why not take some time to look through our back catalogue of episodes? There are now over 60 episodes for you to get your teeth into over January. So take a look at some of the ones you might have missed. I hope you enjoy. Bullies and Saints. An honest look at the good and evil of Christian history with John Dixon. The slogan, The Dark Ages, reached its zenith in the Age of Enlightenment. The very name of that period, Light, was a manifest declaration of war against the era of darkness and its scale of values. Hi, I'm John Dixon, and welcome to this super series on my new book, Bullies and Saints. Bullies and Saints looks at the teaching of Jesus as a beautiful tune that his followers have sometimes sung out of tune. It's a century-by-century account of the Bullies and Saints of Christian history. Each episode, I'll give you a free excerpt from the Bullies and Saints audiobook. In this edition, we examine the Dark Ages, you know, that period that the church brought us into after the collapse of Rome, when it was all darkness, all evil, all ignorance, or maybe not so much. In two highly persuasive investigations, Wallace Ferguson in 1939 and Theodore Monson in 1942 traced the origin of our use of the language of darkness to describe the period roughly from 500 to 1300. It turns out that the first person to employ the image was one of the humanist fathers of the Renaissance, the Italian scholar-poet Francesco Petrarch, 1304-1374. As early as 1341, he had expressed his desire to write a comprehensive account of the glories of ancient Rome up to the time of the last Western emperor, Flavius Romulus Augustus, 460 to 476. Petrarch believed that the great men of antiquity, especially people like Cicero, Virgil and Seneca, were the true intellectual forebears of his 14th century Italian intelligentsia. In a letter of 1359, he laments that the great Roman statesman and scholar Cicero, 106 to 43 BC, could not look down the centuries to Petrarch's time and see the end of darkness and the night of error and the dawn of the true light. For Petrarch, the epoch immediately following the fall of Rome was dark, not because it was unknown, but because it was worthless, says Mommsen. And the sooner the period dropped from man's memory, the better. Petrarch resolved to bury it in oblivion. Curiously, Petrarch's use of the era of darkness was not at all intended as a critique of the church or Christendom. He seems to have been quite devout, and he had a direct line to the Pope, Urban V. 
He once wrote to his friend Giovanni Colonna, We are to read philosophy, poetry, or history in such a fashion that the echo of Christ's gospel, by which alone we are wise and happy, may ever be sounding in our hearts. Christ, he said, is the firm foundation of sound learning. So what did Petrarch mean by an era of darkness? He blamed the barbarians. The Visigoths and Ostrogoths had sacked Rome and fractured Gaul, and so had put an end to the progress of classical Roman learning. And it was this learning that he and his humanist colleagues were hoping to revive. The light of Christ had shone throughout the barbarian era, Petrarch thought, but now the glorious literary achievements of ancient Rome must also shine in a revived Italy. The father of humanism, writes Mommsen, was also the father of the concept or attitude which regards the Middle Ages as the Dark Ages, even though Petrarch himself would not have thought to blame the church for the darkness. In the generation following Petrarch, Italian scholars such as the poet Boccaccio, the architect Villani, and the artist Ghiberti increasingly contrasted their age with what came before, and the dark-light contrast gained wider currency. Most of these humanists also wrote histories of their field, whether of art or architecture, in which they tended to downplay the contributions of the Middle Ages and emphasise their own achievements. In so doing, they created the medieval bogeyman, as the Brill Encyclopedia of the Middle Ages puts it. In his article, Humanist Views of the Renaissance, published in the American Historical Review, Wallace Ferguson notes that the humanists were of one mind in ignoring almost all cultural and political development outside of Italy, as well as the most characteristic institutions and cultural contributions of the Middle Ages. Instead, all that mattered to them was the observation that there was a decline of ancient civilization with the decline of Rome, and that this decline led to a period of barbaric darkness. Only the literary and cultural work of their day deserved the accolade Renaissance. The slogan, The Dark Ages, reached its zenith in the Age of Enlightenment, during the 17th and 18th centuries. The very name of that period, Light, was a manifest declaration of war against the era of darkness and its scale of values, writes Theodore Mommsen. Thinkers such as the Scottish philosopher David Hume and the American political theorist Thomas Paine reveled in drawing contrasts between the ignorant age of the church and the new age of reason the title of Paine's famous work. We can see the same tendency in what is probably the most learned work of history written in the English language during the Enlightenment. Edward Gibbon's multi-volume The History of the Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire was published in six volumes during 1776 to 1789, now happily available in a single e-book. No one doubts Gibbon's peerless expertise in handling the evidence of the Roman world available to him in the 18th century, but his contribution has not aged well. This is partly because he could barely contain his contempt for Christianity and the church throughout his work. In chapter 7, I mentioned his admittedly humorous quip 
about the poor monk Telemachus, whose protest and death in the Roman arena in AD 404 led to the end of gladiatorial sports. Gibbon wrote, Telemachus's death was more useful to mankind than his life. Gibbon's work is replete with such witticisms at the church's expense, and he was not shy about speaking in the preface to the first volume of, quote, the darkness and confusion of the Middle Ages, and again of the, quote, dark ages which succeeded the translation of the empire. It was not long before pretty much everyone was using the slogan, the dark ages, to describe the Middle Ages. In the 1911 edition, the 11th edition, of the ever-popular Encyclopedia Britannica, trusted by students and families all over the English-speaking world, the era between the 5th and 10th centuries is declared the Dark Age, and we are told that the Dark Age was a reality. This Britannica edition roughly coincides with the work of scholars like Ferguson and Mommsen, who were tracing the invention of the concept of the Dark Ages. By the time Mommsen published his article on the topic in 1942, he was able to note that the 14th edition of Britannica no longer contained the expression. The editors had performed a backflip. The relevant entry in the encyclopedia notes, The contrast once so fashionable between the ages of darkness and the ages of light has no more truth in it than have the idealistic fantasies which underline attempts at medieval revivalism. Momsen adds his own insight. The expression dark ages was never primarily a scientific term, but rather a battle cry, a denunciation of the medieval conception of the world, of the medieval attitude toward life, and the culture of the Middle Ages. Recent books, such as Catherine Nixie's A Darkening Age, The Christian Destruction of the Classical World, owe more to this sceptical battle cry than to the discipline of history found in universities today. Even the more polite description, The Middle Ages, causes some historians to wince, because it's a kind of chronological snobbery. In her Middle Ages A Very Short Introduction, Miri Rubin, professor of medieval history at the University of London, explains that the term Middle Ages, quote, suggests that this was a time of arrested motion, a time between two other important epochs that define its middleness. Indeed, those who coined the term Middle Ages possessed a tremendous sense of their own worth and good fortune as members of a later age. It was, in other words, a kind of self-flattery among scholars, artists, and even priests who, quote, celebrated their times and their cities and, above all, each other. Thanks for listening to this excerpt from my new book, Bullies and Saints. Click over to Amazon.com where you can pick up a copy of the full audiobook or a print copy if you like the feel of paper in your hand, like I do. And if you've enjoyed the content, let me encourage you to go to the Underceptions website where you'll find much more like it, including my Underceptions podcast. That's Underceptions.com. See ya. Exceptions 